I'm a 3D shape expert. Here are the 3D shapes that I know. A Hello, everybody, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and today I'm joined by co-host Yimin Chen. How are you today, Yimin? I'm great. Have, this is a wonderful evening. It is a wonderful evening. It's been a beautiful day. We've been blessed with a couple of really great days. Absolutely. Uh, That's the whole last week. Insanely high pollen count. I'm literally, you know, sneezing every couple seconds. I'm taking antihistamines. Are you taking? Are you I, taking? I am. I, I would Good. be, you know, absolutely out of commission if I were. My eyes have been a little bit teary. Um, that's one of the London things I find. Absolutely. Totally. Like, that didn't happen to me in Toronto and... I, that's the only two places I've lived. How about you? I mean, I, I had much less of this when I was, you know, on the West Coast. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the rain would have helped take some of it out of the atmosphere. Or maybe we had different pollen. I don't know. Different pollen, lots of it. So if you like gardening, London's the place to be. <laughs> Sounds good. Anyway, um, so today we're joined by Andrew Harris. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, thanks. Appreciate An- it. Andrew is a just finished his first year of his PhD in medical biophysics here at Western, um, and he's concurrently doing uh, what's called a, a CAMPEP master's certification. Right. Which is so the College of Applied Medical Physics Education Programs, I think, is the is what it actually stands for. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about about this CAMPEP program. Real okay. Quick. So the idea is that. If you are going to go to the hospital and there's something wrong with you, they're going to do either, probably they're going to do imaging. They probably are also maybe, if you have cancer or something, they're going to do treatment. And the person responsible for determining what dose a particular ailment you have needs is an oncologist or a radiologist or those, those that, like, I'm not really sure what that workflow is, right? But the person responsible for delivering that dose and figuring out how to keep like how how to deliver that dose while not uh while mitigating harm to the patient that's a medical physicist and so campap was an organization an organization that has been developed to accredit uh, medical physicists to treat patients okay and so so by dose you mean Dose of radiation. Yeah, radio, yeah, radio dose. So, radio so dose. Uh, like, if you have, uh, for instance, a, a, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I don't, I don't, like, all I know is like what I've, what I've learned, right? Yep. And um, basically, what I've been taught is you are told give this patient this dose to this area, and you have to figure out how to do that without burning their body. And if you did it all through one axis, like for instance, a LINAC, if you did it all through one axis, you would burn the flesh. But because you can do it through like five or six axes, right? You can distribute the dose such that it doesn't burn the flesh, but yet does does the necessary harm to these cells that are that need to be eradicated. And just so anyone who's listening doesn't freak out, you're always being exposed to some level of radiation. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what we're talking about here is a level of radiation that's going to be detrimental to the cells that you're trying to kill. And it's specifically those cells. Yeah. You, there's a, there's an, a device called a collimator. And the collimator, what it does is it prevents the dose that's being delivered from getting into the healthy tissue. 
to oh, to so the extent that you 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 can do that. So it directs that radiation specifically to well, it what blocks, you want it to go to. So the way the way Linac works, it basically just shoots radiation out, and the collimator keeps it from going to the healthy tissue. So okay, and and what's a Linac? Sorry, a linear <laughs> accelerator. Linear accelerator. Yeah, um, and that's just like a part a mini particle accelerator. I don't really know that much about particle accelerators, so I, okay. I would hesitate to say that, but right. I think so. Okay. So it shoots <laughs> radiation out at people. It shoots, it, radiation it shoots radiation Linac, specifically right. at like the part of the body that you want to do some damage to so that right. it doesn't kill the patient. And the other thing blocks it so it doesn't hit parts of exactly. the body that you don't want to do damage Correct. to. Correct. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So a safe radiation shooter. And so that's really cool. Okay. So... Everybody, <laughs> that's what CAMPEP is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be a, you'll be a really important member of the, the medical I field hope. as a medical imager. Then. I, I mean, Tom from our lab just started, or maybe he hasn't started yet, but he's, I think, starting soon a, um, what do they call it, a, a, um, a residency at uh, Johns Hopkins. Oh, wow. So he's um, one of the graduates from your lab, I guess? Yeah. Okay. And then uh, another student from our program, not from our lab, yep. is starting a residency at Harvard, I think. Wow. Okay. So um, yeah, Western has, a, Western has a really good um, record at getting people into the career path of being a medical physicist. So That's awesome. All right. So... In your spare time, when you're not hmm. training to hmm. become hmm. a medical hmm. physicist, uh, you're doing research. Right. Um, so what's the focus of your, your research then? Um, okay, so I am focused in, in the idea of three-dimensional image stitching in, with ultrasound, right? Okay. Image registration and stitching. The specific focus is in neonatal uh, post-hemorrhagic ventricle dilation, right? Okay. What that means is that um, premature babies have a lot of health problems. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be news to anybody, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the health problems that they have is that um, there's uh, blood vessels that flow very close to what's called the ventricles in your brain. There's like gaps where uh, cerebral spinal fluid uh, circulates and, and uh, metabolic products from your brain get kind of like, like washed away. And because their circulatory system isn't very well developed, it can cause a rupture because the, the pressure goes up and down, right? Blood, and everybody's familiar with the idea that blood clots, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so blood will get into the ventricles, clot, and then prevent the, the fluid from flowing. And that's a big problem because now you have these children whose um, skulls start to expand with the pressure from this fluid that starts to build up right and it used to be that when that started to happen kid was just going to die right mm -hmm. now because we have really good neonatal care kid's not going to die probably is going to be okay but now we have this um like if you don't do an intervention when you really kind of should um you have uh, an increasing prevalence of th things like cerebral palsy epilepsy um, this condition called hydrocephalus, which is where the brain, like the, the, the skull just gets like distended and it's, you know, these kids are going to have health problems for life. So it's, it's better to mitigate that early if you can. 
The thing is, the mitigation, the surgery, is quite invasive. So you don't want to do it if you don't have to. And about half the time, these cases resolve on their own, right? Mm -hmm. So what we want is to prevent that from being something that, you know, like you, you want to give the clinicians a, um, a, a, like some kind of a measure that's going to tell them, okay, it's time to go in, right? Currently, to my understanding, what the uh, what the clinicians do is a tactile test on the fontanelle, which is the soft spot in the baby's head, mm -hmm. to see what what kind of pressure is building up, right? They measure the circumference of the head with a tape measure, and you can imagine how much fluid has to build up before that is something that's a quantitative measure that's useful, right? Um, and they also do a two-dimensional ultrasound. Part of the problem with 2D ultrasound is you have difficulty finding the same spot multiple days in a row, right? So 3D ultrasound, it's like an automated process to get an entire 3D volume, right? It takes about a quarter of the time of doing multiple 2D ultrasounds, so you're not contacting the patient quite as much, and it can be done while the kid's still in the incubator. So you can't do CT on a child. It can't be done. You because um, the dose is the, their their tissue is still developing, so the dose is sufficient that the risk is too high. So right? CT then is a measure of imaging that would expose somebody to radiation. Right. So ultrasound. So isn't. CT is X-ray in three dimensions. Okay. Right. Ultrasound. There's no dose. I mean, well, okay. Technically, you can get MRI tissue heating, kids and is, but it's um, they need the, to stay in the incubator. You're, you're getting you're, you, and you're splitting hairs. You would that need point, to right? then dose, purchase an incubator MRI machine, and the market for that is very small. <laughs> so, so it's a really expensive purchase. That exactly. Wouldn't Whereas an ultrasound, like like I could save up and buy an ultrasound. Oh wow! Right, it would take me like a year or two but I could save up and purchase an ultrasound for myself if I really wanted to, right? Whereas MRI costs millions and millions of dollars <laughs> to put yeah. into place, right? I guess while we're on the topic uh, of the benefits and costs of MRI versus sure. ultrasound, why don't we quickly talk about what each one of those things is and what it means. Okay. So, so what's an MRI and kind of... Okay, so MRI, broad strokes... Right. Yep. You're basically measuring the difference in the magnetic field that happens as a result of putting some energy into your body. Right. Not enough energy like X-ray, where you could do some damage to DNA and stuff. Right. But it's like it's radio frequency, and they they measure it. I don't actually know a lot about MRI, so that is my level of understanding of what MRI is. Right. Ultrasound is literally sonar on the body. You put like a pulse in and you measure the difference as it comes back. And that's like a, a sound pulse, like a sound wave yeah. sonar? Okay. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's very, like, um, the depth that you can get to depends on the frequency, basically. Okay. So just to summarize, I guess, MRI then relies on a giant magnet yep. 
and you have to put what you want to look at yeah, yeah, yeah. inside that magnet. Yep. And the magnet's going to be... And it's terrifying. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't, I've never had an MRI, but yeah. I've, I know the people who have had them, and it is terrifying for some people. They're just like, they're, it's basically you're in a coffin. Yeah, it's, it's claustrophobic and noisy. I, I've I participated in a study and did one. Uh, okay. And yeah, it can be pretty claustrophobic. It's a little bit noisy. Um, yep. So I could see how a lot of people would be uncomfortable. Sure. Um, and I could see how it would be very expensive because it's a giant... Mm-hmm magnet well and it's not even that you also need a faraday field around that magnet to keep the um to keep the the, the magnetic field constant right yeah, or, or yeah to keep electromagnetic interference from causing a problem right yeah so like a faraday cage is going to prevent other electrical yep. and magnetic s- stimulation from getting yep. in there so it's and again another expensive thing. very high level i don't know that much of an mri so yeah. <laughs> um so you're you're putting your subject inside of this expensive magnet. Yep. The magnet is energizing that, um, and, and it takes a long time to acquire these these images. A lot of the time too. Does it really? I don't, I don't know that it, much. It, it can take a while. Yeah. Yeah. So so and then your ultrasound is kind of a, a, so a much th- smaller, cheaper apparatus. Yep. That is safer. Uh, yeah, and also like doing it in the 3D way that we've enacted in our lab. Yeah. Uh, means that it's an automated process as opposed to the 2D ultrasound where the technician who is not a medical doctor, like their ultrasound technician, they're attempting to find the same spot that somebody found yesterday kind of thing. So the difference is with the 3D ultrasound, we just take the whole volume, right? And it's, uh, it takes like a quarter of the time because we're not really looking for the same plane okay that makes sense so so with a 2d ultrasound it's like a handheld device like almost like a flashlight i guess sure you kind of you stick it on the thing you're trying to look at in this case it would be a premature baby's head it's more like a photograph you're taking a photograph but it's like a a flashlight that's going to take a photograph like sure it looks kind of like a flashlight right yeah yeah so like you're sticking a flashlight on and it's taking pictures of the inside of the head sure only in what it can illuminate at a time so like a window at a time yeah and and it's it's kind of one one image so it's like a picture versus three you can look at it in in three dimensions and kind of make a whole model of the whole well that's the thing is that you can you can then instead of estimating what you think that the volume is or what the proportion of the volume that the ventricles are of the actual child's skull you can pinpoint you can say this is the volume this is the proportion okay you know what i mean and so it becomes a more quantitative clinical measure and that's what this 3d ultrasound does right that's that's amazing so you you've developed a way to take take i didn't develop it well, it your was lab. developed. It, my lab developed it long before I came yeah. around. Mm-hmm. So, but but kudos to the lab. Yep. And and the technique. Um, so there's a way that you guys are able to take sound waves, and and create a 3D picture. Right. Of a brain. Now here's here's where my research comes in. Okay. Okay. Um, occasionally, you can't get the whole volume of the child's skull in a single scan or a, a single image, right? Okay. So you need to take multiple overlapping scans and kind of mash them together, right? Okay, yeah. That's my research. Fix a computer so that it will do that without me having to interact with it. So one kind of example I can think of 
of of what this is kind of like is if anybody has used Adobe Photoshop to to yeah it's it's to merge exactly pictures. That. yeah it's and a panorama so I do that sometimes you take a bunch of pictures and then yep. you want to put them together and to make one big image right. one panorama and and you can you can select your files and automatedly merge photos in Adobe Photoshop all you have to do is click automate merge and then take the two or 25, however many pictures you want, and sure. put them together in one picture. Yep. And that's kind of like what you're doing, but with in three dimensions. In three dimensions. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's the thing. The, the challenge is that in, in, in two dimensions, you have one degree of rotation and two degrees of translation, right? Up and down, left and right, and rotation, right? Okay. Yeah. In three dimensions, you have six degrees of freedom. Yeah, it's a lot more In a note, up and down, left and right... In plane, out of plane, and through plane. Yeah. And so the the problem becomes a lot more complex. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how, you know, anybody who played Super Mario on Super Nintendo. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're going in one Precisely. direction or back. Do you remember Pilot Wings when Pilot Wings came out for I Super do. Nintendo? Okay. <laughs> that game, as compared with with Super Mario Brothers on yeah. the, uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System, yeah. was just like mind-blowing to me I, I i couldn't get my head around it yeah. yeah exactly so i'm just imagining now mario running back and forth avoiding bowser's fire yep. going up and down compared to super no. mario 64 now yep. you gotta grab bowser by the tail spin him around and throw him <laughs> off the like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what we're dealing with here <laughs> exactly and, and so it's it's a much more complicated procedure then yep. that you're trying to figure out how to solve and that's Precisely. really cool so I don't know how many people here have seen uh, a sonogram of, you know, of tracking the a, a pregnancy. But sure. those things are hard to read. I, I could never, uh, <laughs> without a ton of training, figure out what I'm looking at. When I first started, um, <laughs> people would be like, oh, you can see this and the whatever. And I was like, yeah, sure you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's complex. So with your 3D um, ultrasound, are you able to get a much better picture? No. No, okay. it is it uses standard ultrasound equipment. Okay, right, um, and we're basically taking like a bunch of two D images and extrapolating, right? And this is something actually important: is that the resolution go like gets reduced as you go down because the distance that you're traveling horizontally gets larger as the, the angle gets larger, right? So, okay, anyway. Um, so, with 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 this, you're, I guess you're hoping to improve the the diagnosis, detection, and management of um, of this post hemorrhagic ventricle dilation in in premature. Right. And actually, uh, what we're hoping to do is to take the um, the pipeline that we've developed, okay, validate it for this. And then move it across to other um, ailments. For instance, um, an adult liver. It's it, it, the size of an ultrasound wand is too small to get a um, a three-dimensional scan of an adult liver in a single scan. So you need to have multiple overlapping. Same with breath, breast cancer. They, they do this thing called brachytherapy now in breast cancer where um, it's you just can't get the entire volume that you want of the seroma, which is the tumor and then a, a surrounding area, the needles that are dropping these radioactive seeds, and um, the, uh, the, the, the just like the the 
uh, the whole volume that you want to be able to diagnose, you you need multiple images to be able to do that. So, okay. So, so this will have really broad implications for anything that needs to be looked at in the human body and tracked over time. We're hoping. That's amazing. Now, one of the th- the things that I um, am aware of just from talking to people um, and and reading in the news is the the um, lack of resources that are available in in smaller medical facilities, uh, especially in rural huh. areas. Do you think this will have implications that for that? Is because like that's why Dr. Fenster has focused on ultrasound is because yeah. it's like the kind of thing you can deploy with an iPhone. Hmm. Literally, they do that in the UK. There's nurses going around with an ultrasound and their iPhone and like doing scans, sending them back to the doctor kind of thing, like in a car. Like they do house calls, right? Um, whereas CT costs millions of dollars, MRI costs millions of dollars, and they're not mobile. And you literally cannot move it around <laughs> unless you want to get a giant truck with your Faraday cage I guess. and everything else. You I need guess, but no. I mean, like it's way yeah. simply as I said, like in the third world, especially ultrasound is is going to have good um, outcomes. In, uh, like uh, uh, clinically, I think yeah. so. So although we're very spoiled in in big cities with medical centers like Toronto, London, Boston, um, the gold standard really worldwide then is kind of ultrasound still. Oh, see now you're getting into a touchy area. When you say gold standard, that's something different than useful, right? Gold standard is MRI. Right, because the resolution that you get is far superior to what you're going to get in ultrasound. But a skilled ultrasonographer and a skilled clinician um, doing the job that they've been well trained to do, right, probably will have a good clinical outcome for that patient. You don't need the gold standard necessarily, as in my opinion. Hmm. And my opinion is for what it's worth, you know, like, mm-hmm. well, you're the one doing the research on it. So <laughs> it is meaningful. All right. So before we started, we only have a, a few minutes left. Yep. Um, we were, we were talking about how you got into research <laughs> a little bit. Um, okay. And so how you got into the, the camp My program. first career was doing live sound for bands like concert sound. And, um, mm-hmm. I did that for 15 years and determined that it's a very difficult way to make a living and decided that I needed to make a change. Read a book called The Pig and the Python, and it's all about demographics and economics, and determined that I needed to get into a health field. Decided I'm going to take a science degree and go to medical school. Realized after my first semester that I am not going to be able to get the grades that are going to get me into medical school, and uh, switched to medical physics because it's... uh, I was good at the physics part of my science undergrad, and um, it, uh, it, it kind of appeals to me. It's just like a, you know, just solving puzzles. So <laughs> that's really awesome. Um, so, who, the pig and the python. I've never heard of that book. Actually, okay, is it, is it a really good book? Like, what's it? I I liked it. It, okay. it took me two days to read. So you know, it, it's like two hundred pages or something in large type. So you know. If you enjoy that kind of thing, it's basically about the idea that if you cater to the baby boom generation for the next 40 years, you'll be okay. Huh. 
Interesting. So why is it called the pig and the python? Yeah. Well, because the population, if you look at it, a, a, a distribution of the ages. Right. Right? So the baby boom generation happened in the 60s, the 50s and the 60s, right? They're getting older, and so there's this bubble that's moving through. The If you have a distribution of ages, it's and, and eventually it'll fall off, I guess, but that's kind of morbid. <laughs> so the idea is, is the python has eaten the pig, yes, which represents the baby boomer generation, and it's just moving through the digestive system until it pretty much it, it falls out the other end. Yep, awesome, <laughs> cool. So <laughs> one, I guess, final question for you. Sure. Um, this is this is Gradcast. We interview grad students, and grad students come from all different walks of life. We have had people you know from all different parts of the world yep i think you're the first person i've ever spoken to who said i worked in in music sound production for 15 years yeah what was that like is there any is there any really dude it cool was the most fun i ever had in my life yeah like standing at the back of the room with a with a band that you love on like this tattoo right here that jay that's a jay on his right arm everybody yeah <laughs> uh that, that's a we band a called the johnstones that. okay they're a ska band from ajax i toured with them for five years everybody wow. in the band has that has like a similar tattoo so basically we're a band member kind of you're responsible for the sound and getting them paid because <laughs> i was also the tour manager right so oh, um yeah Everybody, if you love ska music, check out the Johnstones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, I had one one more question about that, actually. Sure. Biggest band you ever performed with, we'll call it, because you, you're part of the show. I uh, I mixed Don McLean. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, and Eric Burden and the Animals and the Kings and the Spoons and, um, God, who else? That same weekend. It was it was all like this one weekend. I was expecting to be take because like when you're a sound guy, you most of the time when you're a club sound guy, you take care of um, like the guest sound guy who's with the band. I was expecting to be doing that all weekend. Turns out I just like ended up mixing a bunch of huge bands because nobody brought their own guy. Oh wow! Billy Talent, Billy Talent. Wow. I grew up in Billy Talent actually. Um, they went to Holy Name of Mary, and I went to Streetsville Secondary School. And Are those near each other? Yes. Okay. Uh, in Mississauga. Okay. Um, and when I got the job at the Horseshoe, they came in. They used to be a band called Pez. And um, they came in this one night. Ian comes over, and he's like, yeah, we changed our name to Billy Talent. I was like, okay. And he's like, do you get it? And I was like, no. Because I hadn't seen hard the hardcore logo, right? Um, he's like, well, it's a hardcore logo reference. I was like, okay. What do you need? <laughs> and, he, and he was like well we, we had a conversation whatever after the show he comes back and he goes dude do you have any interest in going on the road and i said absolutely i would love to do that with you guys right and so he put me in con they, they just gotten signed to this management company in la right the la guys call me and uh, I have a conversation with them briefly, and, and he, he's like, you know, the guys in the band love you. They, uh, they've known you for a long time, apparently, um, and you're apparently okay at doing sound. Great. Do you have any tour management experience? At the time, I did not. And I said, no, but if you tell me what to do, I'll do it. <laughs> and he, it, the guy was like, well, let me talk to my partners, and we'll get back to you. Two days later, to his credit, because I've never received a phone call where you're, they're saying, sorry, but you're not getting it, mm -hmm. right? To his credit, he calls me a couple days later. He's like, listen, um, we're going to go with somebody else because you don't have any tour management experience. 
right? And uh, so that's how I lost the Billy Talent gig. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Unanimous wow. Well, on that note, some amazing stories. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, really cool research. Thanks. Um, So thank you, Andrew. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having Um, me. Do you have a website or anything that you want? Um, you can go to, to you out? can search for Dr. Fenster. Um, Dr. And Fenster. Uh, Dr. Aaron Fenster, yeah, he's prolific in the medical physics community. So, All right. Okay, cool. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. This has been GradCast. We air uh, semi-live on radio uh, every Tuesday on CHRW. That's 6. At 6, 6 o'clock. 6 p.m. 6 to 6.30. So... Thanks for listening. You can check out the podcast if you're listening live in the car right now. Um, You can find us at gradcast.com or gradcast.ca. And if you are interested in coming on the show as a guest, um, email gradcastradio at gmail.com. See you all next time. A baseball, the moon, and an orange I have right here are all examples of a 3D shape that people call a sphere. A basket.